It's good to see you guys. Y'all go ahead and, and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. And we are going to jump right in this tonight. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm excited. The, the more you study and the deeper you go in this journey in Romans, the, the sweeter it gets. And tonight is going to be sweet, sweet because it's so bitter. And that will make sense to you in a little while. We're going to be talking about total depravity. Some people know it as radical depravity or total inability. Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. And Paul has been setting up, up until this point, many incriminating facts against unredeemed man. And he has been setting those facts up in reference in regard to God's holy standard, God's righteous judgment. And in this passage, we're going to see that there is going to be proclaimed a verdict or a conclusion about unredeemed, sinful, natural man. Uh, those of us who are in a Christless state. Um, if you're here and you are in Christ, uh, it's only by the grace of God. He's already established that. But we have to also understand and acknowledge that at one point in our life, we were in a Christless state. We, we didn't have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of bad or a little bit of God and a little bit of, of our own goodness and, and, and all those things that we sometimes see people think that we had a little bad and a little good. We had the, the black, dark angel on this shoulder and the white angel on this shoulder or Satan in the pitchfork suit on this shoulder and the little angel on that shoulder. Uh, it doesn't work like that. And we're going to see tonight that we don't, we don't come into this world with good as far as God's standard of good and His acceptable standard. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at that. Charles Spurgeon, and if you know me and you're around me very often, you know I like to read Spurgeon. I like to read his sermons. Uh, I've been asked, why do I like to read his sermons? I like to read his sermons because you don't get preaching like that most of the time anymore. And Spurgeon said this, he said, you cannot slander human nature. It is worse than words can paint it. You cannot slander human nature. It is worse than words can paint it. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the verdict on human nature. We know this, that man fell in Genesis chapter 3, and man has been fallen in their natural state ever since. And so... Flip over to Romans chapter 3, verse 9. We're going to read about this, and we're going to talk about total depravity. And in talking about total depravity, we're going to talk about total, to, being totally insufficient, being totally incomprehensive, being totally incapable, and being totally inadequate. We're going to talk about what those things mean. Let's read verse 9. It says this, What shall we conclude then? I told you he was coming to a conclusion. He was coming to a verdict. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. 
Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. We know this. He is established at this point. He's established that whether you receive the Mosaic law or whether you as a Gentile receive the law of God written upon your heart and your very conscience inside your utmost being, he says this, you're not going to be justified by trying to do right. Why? There's none righteous. You can't do right. In all of your efforts to try to do right, you will always come up short. Because of this fact, we are totally depraved in our natural human state. So because of total depravity, we are totally insufficient. Verses 9 and 10 tells us that, that in our natural state of depravity, man is totally insufficient. We are insufficient to offer God any excuses. Remember back in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, man is without what? Excuse. Our excuses are insufficient. We can't come up with enough of them to make God change His mind on where we truly stand compared to His holiness apart from Jesus Christ. We are totally insufficient. We are totally sinful. And all of the excuses that we can come up with, remember when you used to try to justify your excuses, justify your sin with your excuses? Uh, We were masters at that in our human nature, weren't we? Right? I, I wasn't as bad as so-and-so. I didn't do as much as such-and-such. I made excuse after excuse after excuse. That's the lost man's M.O., isn't it? He makes those excuses to try to justify his sin. However, he is without excuse. He's totally insufficient to offer God any acceptable excuses. He is totally insufficient to oppose God's verdict on mankind. 9 and 10, he says this, What shall we conclude? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. We can't come up with any excuses. And in not being able to come up with any excuses, we have no opposition to God's verdict on mankind. We're totally insufficient to oppose God's verdict on mankind. Revelation 16, why why are we insufficient in opposing God's judgment on mankind? Because in Revelation 16, verse 7, the angels testify. They say, yes, Lord, true and just are your judgments. God has deemed us unrighteous apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God has deemed us unrighteous in our natural human state. We fell when Adam fell. And we won't be rescued from that fall apart from the grace of God found only in Jesus Christ. So to oppose his verdict of guilty is to be a fool. Remember when you used to argue with God about your guilt? Huh? When you would go to church maybe as an unbeliever and you would hear the preacher preach that you're a sinner? Oh, well, I'm not really a sinner. I'm just doing what everybody else does. 
I don't want to go back to that place with all those hypocrites, right? All the things that you used to say before you were born again. You are opposing God's verdict. God has deemed sinful man totally depraved. There is none righteous, no, not one. That means this. There never has been, there never will be. There was one righteous one, and he was the God-man, and that is why he was righteous, because he bore the righteousness of God already in him. However, those of you who are born in your sinful flesh, there are none of you who will ever be deemed righteous on your own. And so to oppose God's verdict that Paul is proclaiming here, that we're all equally guilty, it doesn't matter if you're Jew, it doesn't matter if you're Gentile, you are all under sin. We can say this, it doesn't matter what sin you've done. It doesn't matter what addiction that had a stronghold on you. It doesn't matter what lifestyle you were rescued from. He's saying this, we're all under sin. We're all under the control of sin. We are all counted as totally depraved and unrighteous in our natural state of depravity. We're totally insufficient to offer God any excuses to oppose God's verdict on mankind. And then we're totally insufficient to overcome sin. We can't do it on our own. Did you know this? You can't do it on your own even as a believer. What makes you think that you could have done it on your own when you were not a believer? You are insufficient in overcoming sin. Colossians says it like this in chapter 2, verse 13. It says this, When you were dead in your sins and in your uncir the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. So we were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our sinful nature. Dead. What do you think that means? It's interesting how people want to argue total depravity. It doesn't get any deader than dead. He didn't say you were handicapped in your sin. Right? He didn't say that you were a little slow in your righteousness. He said you were dead in your sin and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. But God made you alive with Christ and He forgave us all our sins. Please understand that. Now, the only hope that we have, and we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come, is Christ and His righteousness that He has imputed us to us, the righteousness of God. And so we see that we are totally insufficient in our total depravity to overcome sin. And then to occupy a position of righteousness. Try as you may, you will never occupy a position of righteousness in your own human strength. Why is that? Because on your best day, you're not good enough. On your best day, you're not good enough. Isaiah said it like this. We know this. 64.6 of Isaiah, he says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. How many of us? All of us. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Remember when you came to the conclusion that even on your best day, you were still sinful as God opened your eyes and opened your heart by His Spirit to show you your need for a righteousness that exceeded the righteousness of the Pharisees, a righteousness that comes 
from God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He offered that to us because it was impossible for us to occupy a position of righteousness in our own strength, in our own merit. Because even when we try to do the right thing, it is always in our natural selves tainted with the nature of sin that we inherited from our father who inherited from his father, from his father, and so on and so forth. Trace it all the way back to the fall of man in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 when man fell in their sin. So we see that total depravity is totally insufficient, totally insufficient to offer God any excuses, totally insufficient to oppose God's verdict on mankind means that you are totally insufficient to overcome sin in your own power and strength, and you are totally insufficient to occupy a position of righteousness on your own. And so we see the second thing in verse 11 as we continue to read. Verses 9 and 10 told us that we were totally insufficient in our total depravity. Verse 11 begins by telling us that we are totally incomprehensive. Look at this. There is no one who understands. In our natural state of depravity, man is totally incomprehensive to the things of God. We see this when we look at this word, no one understands. That Greek word for understands is soniami. Soniami. It means this, to put together mentally or to comprehend, especially regarding salvation. That word to understand is different than the word that we see to know or to understand, which is gnosko. This word is to put together mentally or to comprehend, especially regarding salvation. So what this is, this is saying that we cannot understand salvation and the acts and works of God apart from being born again, apart from being redeemed. In our natural, sinful, depraved state, we do not understand. How do we know this? Because there's no one who understands. That doesn't mean there's no one who intellectually ponders God. There's no one who tries to figure out God's general revelation that He gives to all men. That's not what it's saying at all. It's saying that you have not been able to put together mentally or to comprehend the great salvation and the works of God that He did through Jesus Christ on the cross for all who will believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us why that we can't. We know this. We've heard it. Let's read it again. Verse 14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Let's ask this question. Is it the Spirit of God which offers salvation unto sinful man? Absolutely. Is it the Spirit of God who regenerates sinful man so that they can see their need for salvation? Absolutely. So what this means is the natural sinful man in his own human intellect, which is depraved because he has a depraved mind, and I think Paul's done a good job up until this point explaining that in Romans 1 and 2, because he in his depraved mind can't understand this, it is a work from God that comes from the Spirit. He says, for they are foolishness to him. These things that God does, is, they're, they're foolish to a man who's unredeemed. Why? Because he can't mentally comprehend this great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. He's not been afforded by the Spirit 
the opportunity to comprehend that. He's not been awakened and regenerated so that he can understand. He cannot understand them. That's what 1 Corinthians says, because they are spiritually discerned. The things that come from God are revealed by the Spirit, and until the Spirit reveals God's plan and His power to an unredeemed, depraved mind, He cannot in His own strength understand. He is totally incomprehensive to the works of God. Right? He misses them. We see God do something and we praise Him as believers. We give Him glory. Look what God did. And the depraved man says, do you really think that's God? No, not only do I think that's God, Bubba, I'll tell you this, I know it's God. And I'm going to praise Him because that's my Father who rescued me from my sin. And I recognize Him when He works just like I hear His voice when He calls unto me. So we see that the natural depraved man is totally incomprehensive to the works of God. He can't see them. Uh, that's for all of us believers who are here, and we cannot believe that a lost person doesn't get it. Because they don't get it, right? They don't see God the way that we see God, because we see Him intimately. We see Him as, what? Father. They see him as this fictitious thing that someone has conjured up in their mind. They don't acknowledge who he truly is because they cannot, just as you in your sinful state could not truly acknowledge the works of God. Not only are they totally incomprehensive to the works of God, they're totally incomprehensive to the weight and wonders of God. The weight and wonders of God. His character Aren't you thankful that now that you've been redeemed, those of you who are here who are born again, you get glimpses into the character of God? You see His sovereignty. You see His omnipotence. You know because of His Word, of His omniscience, that He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is here and He is present at this time and always is. We begin to see the character of God. The atheist sees nothing but the general revelation of God. He doesn't see the deep character of God. We also see not only His character, we see His attributes. We see His attributes. And I would challenge you to do this as a believer. Go through the Word of God. Take a notepad. When you see an attribute of God, write it down. You see that God is merciful. Jot it down. You see that God is wrathful. Jot it down. You see that He is loving. Write it down. You see that He is kind. Write it down. You see that He is holy. Write that down. You see that He is almighty. Write that down. And continue through Scripture all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And I promise you this, because you have been enlightened to the things of the Spirit, His attributes will take a whole new meaning to you as you who have been born again press in and you seek Him through the power of the Spirit which you have been enabled to seek Him through. You'll see His attributes. But before you knew Christ, in your depravity and in your sin, that was totally incomprehensible. Totally incomprehensive to you. You could not understand it. You could not even fathom it. Now we can as believers, because of the mind of Christ that we have been given, we can understand the attributes of God, the character of God. We can also see His power in the weight and the wonders of God. His majesty. That's a word that we don't talk about enough. His majesty. He's majestic above all things. There is nothing higher. There is nothing in this world that is worthy of our praise. He and He alone is worthy of all of our praise and all of our adoration, all of the glory that can be given. He is worthy of all of that. The natural man in his depravity has no clue 
about these things. They are totally incomprehensive in their natural state to the works of God, to the weight and the wonders of God, to the Word of God. How do we know this? We already read, the natural man understands not the things of the Spirit. And so if he doesn't understand the things of the Spirit, and we believe that the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, how many believe that the Word of God is God-breathed, just as it says? It bothers me when a person says, claiming to be a Christian, when I read the Bible, I don't get anything out of it. Hmm. You should. And they look at you like, you're just saying that because you're a preacher. No, I'm saying that because if you are truly born again, then you now have understanding into the things of God that you might not and would not have had apart from Jesus Christ. So for you to claim to be in Christ and then to say that the Word doesn't say anything to you when you read it, well, I think you might have an issue. That's when I would instruct them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Their own salvation. It's not for me to say whether they're saved or whether they're lost. It's only for me to say, okay, there is a problem that you cannot understand the Word of God. It wouldn't be a problem if you were a professing atheist. It wouldn't be a problem if you were a practicing um, sinner and that was your identity, depraved and apart from Christ, and you didn't claim Christ at all. That wouldn't be a problem, right? We don't expect anyone in that state, just like when we were in that state, to understand the Word of God. It's foreign to them. However, if you have truly been born again, the Spirit does live in you, and the Spirit will show you and teach you and give you understanding into the Word of God. So we see that sinful man in their natural state, apart from Christ, is totally incomprehensive to the works of God, the weight and wonders of God, the Word of God, and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. How many of you are thankful for the wisdom of God that He gives those of us who are in Christ? His discernment. Oh, I'm thankful for that. In every decision that I make, I can seek the Father's will in prayer. I can seek the Father's will in His Word. And here's the thing. Through the Spirit living in me, He gives me wisdom from on high that the lost, depraved man does not have access to. Why? He said, no one understands these things in and of themselves. They are incapable. Those things are totally incomprehensive to the lost, unredeemed sinner. And so we read on in Romans. We have seen that in our total depravity, we are plagued with total insufficiency. That we are totally incomprehensive to the things of God. And then thirdly, that we are totally incapable. Let's look at verse 11, the second part. The first part, again, says there is no one righteous. No, not even one. There is no one who understands. And then he says in the second part, no one who seeks God. No one who seeks God. He says in verse 12, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So as we look at this, we see that in and of ourselves, in our natural state of depravity, that we as men are totally incapable. First off, we're totally incapable of seeking God. That word that we see there for seek in the Greek, 
exeteo, exeteo, and it is this, to seek out in worship. Watch this. To crave. To crave. Now, because many men would say this, they would say, but if man is not able to seek God, then that means that they couldn't intellectually try to read the Bible and historically maybe find out facts about God. I want you to understand something. This word here, seek, has nothing to do with reading about God or finding out facts about God. This is nothing about a man in his own strength seeking a relationship to God. This is a man seeking an intimate, worshipful relationship that he craves. Man does not do that on his own. In fact, the word seek here means to crave and to seek out in worship. Meaning this, that a depraved, sinful man who is unredeemed has no capacity, no capacity at all, to crave a worship, intimate type relationship with God. He can only seek after Him intellectually because that is all that He is capable of doing. Unfortunately, there will be many people who are in hell who found God intellectually but were never able to seek Him worshipfully. That word tells us everything when we look at that. Of seeking God, we see that it is to seek Him in worship, to crave Him. John chapter 4, Jesus declared as He was speaking to a woman, He says, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, he says, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshiper, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers, watch this, the Father seeks. The man did not seek after the Father. The Father sought the man and gave them that craving to worship Him. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Please understand this. Before you are regenerated, before you are regenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit, you do not have the ability. It is You are totally incapable of worshiping God with that intimate craving that this verse is speaking of. You cannot seek Him in that way. Why? Scripture says no one does. No one seeks God. Not in this manner. You can seek God intellectually. And here's what you'll find. Only man-made religion. You can seek Him intellectually and still never seek Him intimately. Why? Due to the absence of regeneration. The fact is, the Father will seek you and by His Spirit draw you out of darkness and into light, regenerating you so that you can be a true worshiper because you are incapable of doing so by yourself. So we see that we are totally incapable of seeking God. We are also totally incapable of serving God. Verse 12 says, All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. No one who does good, not even one. We're incapable of doing good. We're incapable of serving God. He's let us know there's no one righteous, that we're all sinners in our depraved state. But we're also 
incapable in that depraved state to even serve the living God. It's very important that we see that John chapter 15, Jesus says that when he's speaking of the vine and the branches. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And he goes on to say, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. There's not a good work that you can do. You can't serve God. You can't bring glory to God in your depraved state. All you can do in your state of total depravity is offend a holy God. Please understand that. Before you are born again through the grace and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and faith in that alone, until that happens in your life, you cannot bring glory to God. You cannot serve God. In fact, you are serving yourself. Even the people who are, have infiltrated the church as unbelievers and even apostates, even in their so-called service to God, it is absent from the fruit that is required because they are doing it in their own strength is absent in regard to righteousness, righteousness not being present, and they are doing it no heavenly good. They are only doing it in their own strength, which will cause them inevitably, as it would all of us in our depravity, to fall dreadfully short, just as the Word of God says, that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we see that they are totally incapable of seeking God, of serving God, of speaking godly. Look at this. The next verse is here, verse 13. He begins to talk about the sins of the tongue. Have you ever noticed that the depraved man speaks a different language? If you haven't noticed, I'll tell you this. A depraved man speaks a different language. Here's, here's what it looks like. Their throats are open graves. That means this, when they open their mouth and you look down their throat, you see that they're dead all the way to the core. Because what comes out of that mouth reveals what is really deep down inside of them. In fact, Jesus tells us about that, and we'll look at that in a minute. He says their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, they're liars. The poison of vipers is on their lips, they use their words to hurt and to sting. Verse 14, their mouths are full of cursing. People ask me all the time, can a believer curse? I guess they could, but they shouldn't because they've been saved from that. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. He's talking about the sins of their mouth. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. We see this. We see that. In speaking godly, there is an absence of godly talk. Matthew chapter 15. Jesus said it like this, But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. Because they reveal what's really down there inside. Just as Paul just taught here that their throats are open graves. When you look down in them, all you see is dead men's bones. Aren't you thankful that you have been made alive in Christ while you were still vile and wretched as a sinner, depraved completely through and through? We see that they are totally incapable of speaking godly. James says this, all kinds of animals, this is chapter 3, all kinds of animals, verse 7, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 
With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be so. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Rhetorical question. No. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Rhetorical question. No. Or a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James is talking about the sins of the tongue because they identify what's on the inside of depraved men. Have you ever noticed if someone is still in a state of depravity and you shake them up, that immediately something comes out? Usually what comes out of their mouth are those words that sting, those cursing and vile words, those things that are conducive to a lost, depraved sinner and their attitudes of their heart. And so we see we as unredeemed, depraved sinners are totally incapable of speaking godly things. Psalm 50, verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him and you throw in your lot with the adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and you harness your tongue to deceit. You speak continually against your brother and slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and accuse you to your face. He mentions those sins of our tongue in association with the wicked man. The wicked man is a description of the depraved man as we were all wicked men in our depravity. We know this. Remember before you were born again, your speech as compared to now with the Holy Spirit's work in your life and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, do you see that there is a significant difference in the way that you speak? Not only what comes out of your mouth, the tone in which it is delivered, right? the reasons why you say the things that you say. But pastor, I'm a construction worker. I'm a police officer. I've heard it all. No, you're born again. And if you're born again, then what you need to do is you need to trust Jesus with the redemption of that tongue since you're claiming to have trusted Him with redemption of your complete and entire being. So trust Him with that tongue that you've not yet trusted Him with. And I promise you, He'll clean it up. Now, let me say this. If you're not convicted about it, you have a spiritual issue. You have a spiritual issue. I remember this. One of the first things that I was convicted about when I was truly born again was my mouth. Why? Because I knew at the end of the day, my mouth was the thing that revealed what I truly was. And I knew this. I wasn't that anymore. I wasn't that anymore. And I watched as the Holy Spirit, through the grace of God, through the power of God, did that work. And so what he's telling us here is we're totally incapable in and of ourselves. James says no man can tame the tongue. Aren't you thankful that we're not relying on man to tame our tongues? Huh? Why? Why can no man tame the tongue? Because all men are totally depraved. But God can tame our tongue. God can tame our tongue because what he does is he changes us from the inside out. Now, from the overflow of our heart, we speak grace. We speak, we speak kindness. We speak words of encouragement. We speak the gospel and the true message of Scripture. 
So we're totally incapable in our total depravity of seeking God, of serving God, of speaking godly. And you are totally incapable of these depraved men, as I once was, of saving themselves. I couldn't have saved myself if I wanted to. Verse 15 of chapter 3, their feet are swift to shed blood. It's what we know. It's what we ran into. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no true fear of God for the person who is depraved. That is why you continue in your sin, giving no regard to consequence, giving no regard to eternity. You do not fear God in your depravity. And in your depravity, you're not fearing God. You have no option of saving yourself. The depraved man, they are godlessly hopeless and hopelessly godless. They are godlessly hopeless and they are hopelessly godless. They don't fear God. Did you know this? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Isn't that where it first starts? Salvation started the moment in your life that God showed you that you are a sinner and that you are condemned already and you will face judgment because of that sin. However, in that, as you began to fear, I hope, and tremble, He, through the power of the Holy Spirit, saved you, making you alive while you were dead. Aren't you thankful? And in making you alive, He freed you, as we've already talked about, from the wrath and the judgment that you deserve. And in freeing you from the wrath and the judgment that you deserve, through that fear of God, you now serve Him. We don't fear God because we're afraid of Him. We fear God because He has shown us His might and His power through Jesus Christ in saving us by His grace. We fear Him out of complete reverence to Him and to His holiness, which you could not, you were incapable of doing before. You could not save yourself. Only God can save sinful man. So we see that we are totally insufficient in our total depravity, totally incomprehensive to the things of God in our total depravity. We're totally incapable. Incapable of seeking God. Incapable of serving God. Incapable of speaking in a godly way. And incapable of saving ourselves. So we move to the next thing in the next couple of verses. Verse 19. We see in our total depravity that we are totally inadequate. A lot of people say this is going to hurt your self-esteem. When I tell you that you are totally inadequate in your depravity. I'm going to say it louder. You're totally inadequate in your depravity. Uh, the best thing for yourself to do is to be what yourself really is, dead, so that He can make you alive in Christ Jesus. And so rest in your deadness and trust in His life, please. We see that we are totally inadequate. Verse 19, He says to us, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. He's already made the case, hasn't he? That we all, in some way, shape, and form, are under law. Be that the Mosaic law for the Jew, or the internal law of the conscience for the Gentile, we are all under law, apart from Jesus Christ. He goes on, he says, we, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. 
how can they be silenced and held accountable to God? Because everyone who's under a law knows this deep down, right? You're lawbreakers. Every law that has ever been written or every law that has ever been created in the mind of man or in the conscience of man has been broken, hasn't it? And Jesus levels the playing field for all of us when he says, if you've broken one, how many have you broken? All of them. And so we understand that. And he goes on in verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. We are totally inadequate in our natural state of depravity. Listen to me. Man is totally inadequate. We are inadequate to obey God's law. We're not equipped to do it. How do we know this? Psalm 51.5. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 51.5? He says, surely I was what? Sinful when I was 14? Huh? Sinful when I hit puberty. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. When I came into this world, I was sinful. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Think about that. Sinful before I ever hit the ground, in fact. I was sinful. I was depraved in my human nature. The psalmist understood that. He understood that he was totally inadequate to do anything right. He was sinful. How, how did he realize this? David realized this in Psalm 51 because try as he may to keep all the laws of God. A man after God's own heart, Scripture said. He had just committed adultery and murdered the husband of the woman that he committed adultery with. And he comes to this conclusion, and we know the conclusion was because the forgiveness of God was revealed to him. A righteousness that was not his own. He said, surely I was sinful at birth. Surely I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We see that David understood that, didn't he, as he wrote that psalm in repentance, that he was totally inadequate to obey God's law. Romans 8 says this in verse 7, The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature, watch this, cannot please God. We are totally inadequate in our depravity to please God. Isn't it funny how we see people who aren't born again, who don't even claim Christianity, thinking that they can please God? Let me help you. If you are still in your depravity, if you have not been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have not by faith trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have not been saved, you have not received salvation, however we want to word this, you have not been rescued by Jesus sacrifice that he made at Calvary on your behalf, let me say this, if those that has not happened in your life, you cannot please God. Why? You're totally depraved. You were sinful from the time your mother conceived you. So we see that we're totally inadequate to obey God's law. The Jew, he couldn't obey the Mosaic law. He fell short for all his sins, come short of the glory of God. The Gentile, couldn't obey his conscience, could he? No, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we see that we're inadequate totally to obey God's law. How about this, totally inadequate to overturn God's standard of holiness? You can't make God change his mind about the perfection he requires by somehow presenting him your imperfection. Isn't that what a lot of people think? Well, if I just get my act together, 
I dare you to try. The best you can do is try to fool everyone. And I'll tell you this, you might fool a lot of people. You might fool everyone on this planet. You will not fool God. Because He requires a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. We know this. You can't make Him change His mind about it. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said it Himself, For I tell you, verse 20, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these were the most righteous people of their day. In fact, they had done everything that they could to look righteous on the outside to impress everyone with their spirituality and their religion. They did it all in their own strength. But Jesus said of them, you're whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but when we open you up, you're still dead man's bones. What was he saying? He was referencing their total depravity. You are in your sin completely. He says you will certainly not enter the kingdom unless your righteousness exceeds the most righteous person that you know on this earth. Now, how can that happen? We're going to see next week that it is a righteousness that comes from God. It's the righteousness that we talked about earlier on in Romans. We're going to talk about that extensively. We're totally inadequate until that happens. We're inadequate to overturn God's standard of holiness. He says, I have to attain perfection. I can't overturn that, can I? I can't. Have you ever tried to negotiate with God? Uh, can you go with me there? Because there are people still trying to do it. They think if they do enough good that God is going to overturn his standard for them. If I just put enough in the offering plate, if I just pray enough, if I just attend church enough, if I just do alms for the poor, or if I help out when I need to help out around the church, right? If I get on the mowing crew, well, maybe, maybe if I do that, God will lower his standard of perfection and go ahead and let me in anyway. However, that won't happen because our righteousness has to be His righteousness. He will not overturn His standards. So we are totally inadequate in trying to talk Him into doing that, trying to force His hand. We're also totally inadequate in our depravity to obtain righteousness through human works. Please understand that. You cannot be saved through your own works. You cannot stay saved through your own works. God does not need your help to finish His work of redemption. Everybody understand that? Uh, if you think He needs your help, you're a prime candidate for legalism. Right? Don't fall into that trap. It is by grace through faith alone. In Christ alone. We've learned this over and over and over again. And so we are totally inadequate to obtain righteousness through our human works. George Whitfield said this, what? <laughs> Get to heaven on your own strength? Well, you might as well try to climb to the moon on a rope made of sand. What? Get there on your own strength. Here, here's a bucket of sand. You try it. Make a rope and climb it. Now, some of you are thinking about that right now. It's probably the most foolish thing that you ever heard. But so is you thinking that you can somehow obtain righteousness in your own effort when we know this, that the Word of God is true and that every man is a liar in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 tells us something very important. It is for grace, for it is by grace, excuse me, 
that you have been saved through faith. And he goes on to say, this is not of yourselves. Why? Because it can't be. Because in and of yourselves, you are totally depraved and sinful. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And not of works, so that no man can boast. We understand that we are saved by grace through faith, and that is it, period. Just as Whitfield said, to try to do it on your own is to miserably fail. Just as God's Word says in Ephesians, it is only by grace through faith that we obtain righteousness and is not through our human works. Now, I understand. Those of you guys in here who are manly men, you're fixers, you want to fix your life <laughs> and help you. You can't. Your life is broken beyond repair. In fact, it's not fixable. It's dead apart from Jesus Christ. And it is only by His grace that you can be made alive in Christ as He awakens you to the new life that He and He alone graciously gives those who He graciously gives the faith to believe. So we see that we are totally inadequate to obtain righteousness through our human works. And then we are totally inadequate to obliterate the purpose of the law. Watch this. I'm glad that this is included because Paul gives us the purpose of the law. Don't, don't miss the purpose of the law. Don't obliterate this. Don't forget about why the law was given. The Mosaic law to the Jew, the conscience law that's given to the Gentiles, the, those rules that we have inside of us of right from wrong that he gave us. Here's the thing. Understand, he gave us those things for a purpose. What does he say that purpose is? Let's look at it together. He says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And so we see this, that we are totally inadequate to obliterate the purpose of the law. We try to do that, don't we, by, by leaving that, living that life of legalism where we try to check off all the boxes. Okay, I did this, I did this, and I did this. So if I go to sleep tonight and something happens and I die, I'm probably going to be righteous in God's sight. Please listen to me. There's nothing that you can do to obliterate the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was not, are you listening? The purpose of the law was not to make you righteous. The purpose of the law was to show you that you are totally depraved, that you are in sin, incapable of being righteous. We see the purpose of the law stands. It's never going to go away. That's why I don't like when people want to erase it. You've heard me talk about antinomianism. You can't erase the law. There's a purpose still in the law, and that law is to show you sin. Any of you ever do anything wrong before you read your first thing in Scripture that said it was wrong, but yet you still knew it was wrong? And in your depravity, you did it anyways, and you enjoyed it, right? That's the purpose of the law, and the law is to show you that you are a sinner so that you can see your need of redemption. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. It says, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. What is he telling us there? There's no law that was given that could impart life. All that the law did was bring forth death, didn't it? Because the law brought forth sin. But the Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. Sounds like total depravity to me. The whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. 
prisoners of the law, right? Sounded like they were well on their way to righteousness. No, they weren't. That was not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to reveal unrighteousness so that, watch this, 24, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Because it is faith that we are justified by and faith alone in Jesus Christ in the work that he accomplished through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And our faith in him is the only way we're going to see this more clearly as we travel on in chapter 3 in the weeks to come. We're going to see that is the only way to be justified. is through faith in Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he and he alone gives us. So, we must come to the clear conclusion, as Paul did in here in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, that apart from Christ, we are completely and totally depraved, and we are in need of His gracious salvation. Would you agree? Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time. We thank You for each and every one of these men who have devoted their time to come to study Your Word together. Lord, I thank You that you rescued me from my total depravity, that there is nothing, there never has been anything good in me. And the only good that is in me now is the goodness that you bring into my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the goodness that you've given me by grace through faith in you and you alone. God, I pray for the soul who's here today who does not know you as Savior and Lord, who's been trying to get to you with that rope made of sand. God, I pray today that you show them. You show them that they have failed utterly, but that your grace is sufficient to save them from all of their sin and to grant to them forgiveness and eternal life in you. God, we thank you for that promise. We thank you for the truths of your word that we've looked at tonight. Thank you for changing us through the power of your spirit. Be with these men as they go home. Let them lead their homes. Be light in darkness. Be men of courage and of strength point others the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your mighty name, Lord Jesus.